The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. So, what up, dude? You you had some time <laughs> off, didn't you? I did. I did. I, uh, I went glamping. I'll tell you about it in a few minutes. Okay. I glamped. And uh, it was it was very eye opening. And again, I'll I'll tell you the story in a minute. But what's what's going on with you? Uh, you know, just kind of settling into the fall routine, um, hoping that Sonoma County doesn't catch on fire anytime soon. Um, we've got that that cool in the air. You know, I wake up, it's about 55 degrees. I need to put on a hoodie to take the boys to school. Uh, September and October is really about as good as Sonoma County gets, provided it's not on fire. And I mean, that's just the craziest <laughs> thing, you know? If we're not burning, we're amazing. <laughs> plan, your, yeah. plan your vacation for Sonoma County, maybe. Yeah. I would pay you for that weather, though. I went out with the dog this morning, and it's like tropical here still. Oh. It's just humid. It's like... Cut the air with a knife, humid. Mm. There, yeah. We have little hints. We have little hints, but global, global climate, whatever is, you know, it's arrived. Like September is still summer here. It's it's bizarre. Wow. I mean, I it's remember like, North- the, the leaves. The leaves are hinting at, you know, what they do, but <laughs> they want to get started, but they can't. Yeah, it's 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 subpar in my uh, opinion. Uh, yeah, I, my very first fall in Northampton started in August. That was back in 1989. And uh, mm. I remember walking out of a movie theater in the evening after having seen The Abyss with my roommate. And uh, it was, you know, it was like 50 degrees when we walked out of the theater. And I was entirely unprepared for that experience, M- more emotionally than physically. Mm. Because I just moved from Memphis, where I could guarantee you at that hour, you know, it was still like 11. Right, right, right. Yeah, I would. I mean, I love that. I love those. I mean, the fall is the best here. Yeah. Fall in New England is a pretty special thing. And the further north yeah. you go, the the specialer it gets. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm ready to get that party started. But my opinion remains as valuable as ever. Ah, yeah. Influential, aren't you? Yes. (laughs) Well, to um, the extreme, not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I want to hear about this glamping. I have never glamped. So, uh, you know, glampucate me, uh, educate me on glamping or something. Sure. (laughs) So we we booked a spot at this place in uh, New Hampshire in the White Mountains called Hutopia. Okay. 
Um, Hotopia is a French company that develops these kind of glamping. I don't know if resort is the right word. Let's say glamping properties. Okay. Um, so we booked a two bedroom tent with a tiny (laughs) bathroom and tiny kitchen in it. This sounds like something out of Harry Potter. Yeah. The the tent that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. If you've ever watched one of those tiny house shows or you appreciate them, (laughs) it was that sort of tent. Um, And so it's not exactly roughing it, but it gets you in the woods without your kids complaining and without having to pack your car to the roof with gear. So. Okay. Okay. I'm here to tell you there's no shame in glamping. I'm a proud (laughs) glamper. You are a convert? I am a convert. Um, In fact, I'm going to throw a link in the show notes for folks to see the glamping options near them. That's how firmly I believe in glamping. Hmm. Okay. Um, I've come to... I've come... my, My view on glamping has shifted 180 degrees. Because previously, my view was that if you went glamping, it's because you weren't tough enough or whatever enough to to do real camping. Mm -hmm. But now I see that glamping is not a soft version of camping, but rather it's the hotel room I'd much rather stay in. (laughs) Please continue. This is utterly intriguing. Yeah. So if you think about you go to a place, say we were going to go to the White Mountains normally, we would stay at an Airbnb or at a a hotel, you Uh know, a run of the mill hotel. Yeah. And the Airbnb turns out to be probably a lot like your own home, but just in another location. Mm -hmm. And I was saying I say to my wife, you know, for me, the primary purpose of a vacation is to disrupt my routine in a constructive way. So when I stay at an Airbnb, which is, you know, a comfortable home like my own home, I just move my routine and my lifestyle and all my crap to somebody else's house. It's okay. It's fine. You know, like I, I think the Airbnb works really well for a work trip, but less so in my opinion for a week's vacation. So then you have the hotel and the hotel room is this sort of McDonald's experience of shelter. You know, mm-hmm. the comforters are all the same. The pillows are kind of the same. And there's a TV, like the layout. It's just meh. It's well, whatever. It's a place to sleep. And there's there's a lot to be said for just having a place to sleep. But it, it, unless you're going to spend a lot of money, you're not going to get inspired by your hotel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So glamping to me or the tent Uh, Such as it was, and it had like a little toilet in it. It had running water in the tent. All right. Yep. It had two bedrooms. So there was like a double-sized bed in one side for my wife and I, and like bunk beds in the other side for my boys. You said And then there was a little... A double, Double? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she likes me. In fact... It's my 21st wedding anniversary today. 
Oh, dude, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The, the likelihood of my wife actually listening, tuning in to hear my voice even more is very low. But but we're with you. If you're out, if you're <laughs> out there, honey, I love you. And thanks for 21 years. <laughs> That's so great. But I mean, you, you even. OK, you two are on good terms, but a double, you know, alternately called full size. I don't know how you get both double and full out of the same small thing, but You've got to be on really, really good terms to sleep two people in a double bed. Yeah. True. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it was. You know what? It was really fine. It was okay. really fine. All right. Um, so 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 then uh, you can see we've got this sort of minimalist, maximalist tent hotel situation Mm -hmm. it's sort of like this convergence of a hotel room and a camping tent and for my money a hotel room that doesn't have a television in it that has windows that you can zip open um that you can walk out the front of and be in the woods is just the best hotel it's the best hotel room ever. So I don't, th- I'm not thinking of glamping as a camping experience anymore. I'm thinking of it as a, just a better hotel experience. Something you'd rather do than holiday in. Oh, hell yes. Okay. Every time I don't need their crappy breakfast. I would rather cook on the camp stove out front with the sound of the brook babbling, uh, nearby. All right. All right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So what was what was funny about this vacation is that I did zero writing and zero consulting work while I was away, which flies in the face of a thing that I wrote on the site after my last vacation <laughs> saying that I never don't work on vacation, <laughs> <laughs> which is another thing to be said for glamping. Um, I took a notebook and pen with me because uh, I'm a writer, but I didn't actually end up writing a word in the notebook I had, you know, I, again, because I'm a writer, I have stuff flying around my head all the time, as it does when you have time, when you give yourself time to think. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, you know, it was nice actually not, not to do, not to commit a word anywhere, just to leave them all floating. You know what I mean? It it was like, um, it was very refreshing in that regard. Mm -hmm. So at this stage, you're saying to yourself, cool story, bro. (laughs) You, you went glamping, you liked it. What's the point? What does this have to do with cycling? Uh, I, okay, fair question. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm lurching slowly toward is a new idea that I have that I'm calling anti-cycling. That's anti with an E, not an I. Okay. Meaning before cycling, not uh-huh. against it. So it's right. these the anti-cycling is are the things that come before riding the bike. Okay. Like putting me? on your bib shorts. <laughs> no? S- not really. Oh. So the here here's here's here it is. The big revelation, it's not really that big, for my wife and I from sitting in front of our tent each morning is that there's a huge value in just being outside, maybe drinking coffee, and just talking. Mm-hmm. Just talking. Birds would fly in. She'd say, what bird was that? 
Uh, I'm a bird nerd, so I'd say that's another um, goldfinch or whatever. Um, Outside and all the things it offers in its slow, quiet, subtle way is anti-cycling. In other words, we think we're going to ride bikes because we love to ride bikes. <laughs> the pedaling, the steering, all that like stuff that's actively riding the bike. We think that's what we're all about. But outside is one of the main draws, actually. We, I, oh, I, yeah. I forget <laughs> that. I'm so focused on like, oh, I'm riding or I'm thinking about the route or whatever. But the stuff that comes before provides a lot of the value of cycling for me. In fact, it's actually most of the story. The bike is a means of exploring the world. And so the world comes before cycling. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see where you're going you with now. me. Yes. Totes. And, and so now maybe you're thinking, yeah, cycling outside, inseparable, not a revelation, dude. <laughs> but, but bear with me. One of the conversations I'm having lately with multiple people is about either burnout or the feeling that going out and flogging yourself on the bike doesn't always solve all your problems. Oh, yeah, I'm there. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, often it does. We go to that well, and we go to that well, and sometimes it runs a bit dry. You know, like last week's TCI Friday, I addressed this a little bit, mm -hmm. which is funny because I wrote it before I went away. Uh it's possible I'm clairvoyant, but um, is that what clairvoyant even means? Uh, uh, yeah, future predicting. Yeah. Sure, sure. So here's the idea of anti-cycling. Sometimes you have to move the idea of the ride out of the way and put some other things first. Sometimes you have to change your idea of what riding a bike is for. All right. For example, for example, I'll get this. I'll get at this a little more in my paceline pick. But you can drink coffee in the woods. If if coffee is a thing you drink, you can drink anything in the woods. I've picked uh, up on that. But, yeah, yeah. But but um, uh, sometimes what I do is I meet up with friends at this particular spot. It's a clearing just off a trail in a little patch of woods, about twenty minutes ride from my house. We sit, we pull out our coffee brewing supplies and have a little chat there amongst the trees while we brew a cup of coffee. Maybe someone brings some snacks. Um, no one's sweating at that point. No one's running Strava. We ride there because uh, we like to ride, but the bike is, is peripheral. It's the means <laughs> to the <laughs> end. It's an anti-cycling activity, coffee in the woods. And for me, it's stuff like this that props up my riding. Like it reminds me that my goal, my primary purpose really is to retain that sense of perpetual 12-year-oldness, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The ironically not goal-oriented, <laughs> down for whatever, just happy to be out and exploring and opening up my small, stupid mind from riding the bike. And so that's what anti-cycling is about. I'll likely write about this on the site. I'll, I'll, I'll try to codify and clarify a little bit at some point later. But, but this is this thing that's on my mind. Anyway, mm -hmm. does this resonate for you at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Am I totally. nuts? <laughs> totally. So uh, just a couple of data points that, you know, will serve to back you up. Uh, there's a little collection of friends of mine who I've 
actually only been able to join once, but Thursday nights, every now and then a Friday, uh, this group called SCUM, S-C-U-M-B. I forget what it's an acronym for, uh, how they arrived at it. One can only guess weed was involved. Um, anyway, they, they will get charcuterie and cheese and sometimes hot dogs if you want to go a little more lowbrow um and uh builder jeremy Seasip has a grilling bike you may have oh wait no you weren't yep, at that yep, now yep. yeah uh he has a grilling I'm aware of bike. this because i work with jay right Seasip, his brother so yeah. i'm i am somewhat aware of these um the boondoggles yeah so uh he has a bike with a grill built in. Yeah. I mean, and so what else are you going to do? You're going to go up into Anadol State Park and you're going to find a spot that's out of the way and you're going to grill and slice up cheese and have some beers and uh, just revel in being with friends and being out. So do some anti-cycling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then there's a spot um, out in West County near it's near West Pole, um, and it's called Noah's Nest uh, for my my buddy Noah. And um, uh, without giving too much away, um, let's say green budded varieties of certain weeds are consumed in that spot. Um, it's sort of a requirement. Um, I've managed to dodge that, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, when you reach Noah's nest, you stop and everyone gathers. There's a, a fairy ring of redwoods right there. That's oh, Noah's wow. nest. Yeah. Oh, and wow, so yeah. you go sit down. There are some fallen trunks and boards and whatnot. Well, not boards. I guess they're all pieces of old tree trunks. Uh, but there are some spots to sit down and, uh, it's funny. It can actually rain there and you won't get wet. The, the canopy is such that. You can, you can be there. Um, yeah. So those are two expressions of that here. Um, another thing I'll add is that there's a bike path that runs from, uh, Santa Rosa to the town of Sebastopol. And do you remember all of Monet's paintings of haystacks? (laughs) Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, not all. I can't say that I remember them all, but I'm aware of the the, uh, the sense of what that that series was catching them in different kinds of light and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Joe Rudota Trail passes some fields, some farm fields, some pasture, um, a vineyard. And so you can go there in winter, in spring, in summer and in fall. And that bike path is four different places in four different seasons. Um, oh, yeah. In the spring, we get just these incredible riots of California poppies, which I, my all-time favorite flower. It's just incredible. Um, this time of year, uh, we've got the harvest going on, so some of the vineyards that you pass may actually have a little bit of a smell uh, before they actually get harvested. You can smell the grapes themselves. Um mm. You know, winter, it's all kind of barren. You're looking at it going, man, this spring, this place is going to go off. Um, mm-hmm. There's some sunflowers in one spot. It's it's a really neat thing. And very often for me, 
when I go out for a road ride, I hit that just for those views, just, uh, you know, just as a way to clear everything else out of me. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you got to forget about your uh I mean I almost always forget about my watts um <laughs> but sometimes you got to forget about your watts or your strava or your intervals pull your head out of your chamois and uh remember why you got on the bike in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I uh, I I like anti-cycling. I am with you on this yeah. now. Yeah. A little more anti-cycling. Yeah, yeah. cycling is good, too. Cycling is good, too. This is not a knock on cycling. Again, it's an E, not an I. But, uh, yeah, it's what I'm into lately. Nice. All righty. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and we will be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your poll, Patrick. What do you got? Well, I got a listener from uh, a listener question from John, our listener, not you. No idea where he is. Maybe Timbuktu, maybe Paris, Tennessee. I don't know. Uh, he said he's got some long gravel events he's hoping to do in 2022, and he needs to work on his endurance, but due to wife, family, job, more hours on the bike is a challenge. What he didn't mention was what time of day he usually rides. So some of what I'm about to say may or may not help. Um, <laughs> that said, here goes. So the first easiest way I know of to get more riding in is to ride early in the day. This has proven to be effective mm -hmm. for me for, um, well, ever since cycling. Uh, get up before daybreak <laughs> and get ready and be on the road with first light. Getting out before anyone can need you or miss you is a plan that is difficult to improve upon. Um, here's the part that I've always had trouble uh, incorporating in my own life. Uh, want even more miles? Add lights to the regimen and get up at five or say four if you live in Seattle because the sun comes up so early there. I never got more miles than when I was getting up earlier than usual for my morning rides and squeezing in an extra half hour or 45 minutes or even an hour before meeting my group ride. That's uh, ambitious. Well, I was once. Um, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Sounds like John's ambitious too. Uh, I, I, you know, it, uh, a guy, a guy could legitimately say he needs more miles, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. Yep. Um, and not just a guy, a rider <laughs> correction there. So my second recommendation, 
If you don't have a clock ticking the moment you get home from your ride, you can tack on what a friend of mine and I used to call secret miles. This is different from the pre-ride. Miles before the ride, we called the pre-ride. Miles after the ride, we called secret miles, which was adding an extra 45 minutes of just easy bike path spinning following our hard group rides. And honestly, very often those hard group rides were so hard that 45 minutes of easy bike path spinning was about all we could manage. Uh, We were both fortunate that at that time we had jobs that were about, shall we say, productivity and not hours spent. Um, So that was that was pretty effective back then. Um, Recommendation number three, hone. This is something actually I've been trying to revive myself because I've been so slow to get out the door some days. But I recommend honing your pre-ride routine into just an automation of muscle memory. This was super key to me when I rode early, doubly so if I was trying into uh, trying to squeeze in a pre-ride before that morning group ride. So that means having a set pattern of how you do things. (laughs) Example, for years, my routine was this. Get up, go pee. Pull on my cycling kit, grab socks, walk to the kitchen, mix up two or three bottles, one of which I drink on the spot as I ate a cliff bar. From there, I'd grab my helmet, glasses, shoes, and then sit down at the same chair every time. You know, I wouldn't be walking around the dining room looking for which chair I wanted to sit in. Um, I'd put on socks, shoes, helmet, glasses, and gloves in exactly that order every time. From there, I'd grab my bottles and any food I was bringing and walk out to my bike. If I'd needed to upload GPS data or charge the unit after my last ride, that would be in my hand and ready to put on the bike as well. On those mornings where I was trying to get up super extra early, I'd check the forecast the night before and lay out my clothes in advance of the ride. Uh, When I was living in SoCal, you know, I was in arm warmers nearly 10 months of the year. That's just, if you ride at six o'clock in the morning, that's just life. And I mean, seriously, there are worse things. Have you been to Mississippi? <laughs> I have. <laughs> I grew up in Memphis, so I get to say A this. Lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, so, you know, most of the time when I was living in Redondo Beach, the only real question was whether I needed knee warmers and a vest. I was going to be wearing a base layer, jersey, bibs, and arm warmers. Just did I also need knee warmers and a vest or not? Um, And, you know, even if I got it wrong because it was Southern California, it was hard to be too wrong. Right. There's one other option uh, I've got some experience with uh, for increasing training time, and that's late evening trainer sessions. But this one is truly problematic, and I don't just uh, recommend this out of hand for everyone. Exercise right before bed is, mm, let's call it a non-starter for many people. Uh, I know lots of people have told me that any sort of exercise in the last hour or two before bed will energize them and wake them up. Um, I guess I was fortunate. One of the things that I did was... 
when I did do those late evening workouts, I made sure to go super hard so that I was really tired and I'd come upstairs, I'd take a hot shower, which does relax you, get you ready for sleepy, sleepy. Um, and then when I I get into bed, I usually tended to fall right to sleep. Um, again, hot shower, not a bad thing. Um, John, having said all that, how do you shoehorn in more miles when you're trying to get ready for something longer? Um, well, it's, it's, I was listening to your, uh, rundown of the things that you did. Uh, and the, the whole time I was thinking like, what do I do? What do I do? And I, w- I, I have a couple things to add. Um, the first one, and I keyed it well, from the question. What I keyed on was, um, family, mm-hmm. uh, that there's, there are, you know, family commitments that are hard to work around. And I, I've done that and I relate to that. And so the first thing I would say is I agree with my wife when I'm going to do big efforts, right? So if I'm going to mm-hmm. be away for four to six hours, I, I, it's on the schedule, right? Everything, when you have a family, everything, works best i think if it's scheduled and agreed on so yeah um the good news is to build endurance you don't need that many sessions a week yep a lot of people think oh go at it every day every day every day that's not really necessary especially as you get older as you get older actually the recovery time becomes important so if you were (laughs) if i was going to um really work on my my endurance now i'd want to do basically two monster sessions a week mm-hmm. and then the rest would be um what i'll call maintenance miles uh which can be anything um yeah. but so the first thing i would do is i'd i'd say to my in my case my wife i'd say i'm gonna do a monster session wednesday night and a monster session sunday morning uh and those are the times you can count on me not being here is that okay? Like, is that going to work? And, you yeah. know, you got to be flexible, right? So whatever. But you have to work that out in advance. That's my first thing. Um, the second thing I would say is to build endurance, don't go very hard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the base mile is everything. The 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 max effort doesn't really help you on the endurance tip. I mean, it's it's worth doing. It's, you know, we should all be doing uh, the occasional max effort, but no more than two a week. Um, so if you were doing an hour of max on the trainer or an hour of max before work in the morning, that'd be great. And then, you know, your monster session would want to be pretty chill. Just base miles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's for me. Um The last thing I would say is, and when my kids were younger, this, um, this saved my life is that I began to pay a lot more attention to my commute. I know not everyone is commuting now, um, but (laughs) I almost lost my mind when my kids were very young because I was like, well, I can't. Like, I'm the type of person that has to exercise in order to be emotionally and spiritually (laughs) okay, (laughs) right? I I think most most folks listening to us uh, consider themselves at least, you know, part-time renters of that boat. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what I did was I I said, well, first of all, I'm going to commute by bike every day because that's I got to get to work and back. So that's like a free ride Mm -hmm. twice a day. It turns out to be also really good for your stress levels um, because you can ride your day out of your head after work or you know you get whatever in the morning and and then when i was trying to uh train for a big thing uh endurance wise i might tack a little extra onto that commute or i might rope in some hills that i wouldn't otherwise have done so i that's they're just you know taking advantage of the opportunities that are right in front of you yeah yeah very very good you know something i should clarify uh, here, when I was getting ready for the race season or say those bigger centuries, bigger gravel rides that I would do, there are two things you need to get through a big day if you want to do something other than just kind of spin your way through it in the little ring. Uh, one is, yeah, you've got to have that endurance, right? You've got to be able to ride for six hours if you're going to do a century. Um, the other thing is if you want to be going hard for as much of that, say six hours as possible, you need some aerobic capacity. And so you're going to need a few weeks where that volume is really up beyond just the one day. And, uh, you know, you reminded me that yes, um, with my ex, when I would get to those points in the season where I really needed, to put on the big miles to build up that aerobic base, I would tell her, okay, the next three weeks are going to be pretty big. I'll have a rest week after that where I'll be more available. And then there will be a second block. And then that'll be the last of that for this year. Um, there would be two big months where, you know, I'd be getting some 18 hour weeks in. Um, and that meant like seven days a week and, you know, yeah, lots of leaving early, that sort of thing. Fortunately, you know, you only need a bit of that to really start getting ready. The endurance rides, you got to do a certain amount of endurance all year long because that is actually the thing that your body forgets fastest, um, as I'm being currently reminded of. I'll add to that um, because not just because it's my wedding anniversary today, but um, (laughs) when I go to my wife and say, you know, I'm going to be gone for six hours um, Saturday morning, or I want Wednesday night or Wednesday night and Sunday morning, and then I'm going to do all this other stuff. It is, it's a really good idea to know the things that you can take off their plate to make that not just a take. Mm. Yeah, very right. smart. I mean, I'm training for a big thing right now, and I'm keenly aware that I, I'm i not really allowed to let it subsume the rest of the family. Like, it's occupying most of my brain and a lot of my time, but I have to balance that with my wife and kids. And I have Mm -hmm. to know like when I'm like I'm driving to piano lessons and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. So when you do negotiate for that time to do the big thing that you want to do, 
whether it's, you know, an endurance ride or writing a novel, it doesn't matter. I think you have to know where the where what you can offer your partner <laughs> to to make it work within the family context, because otherwise you're going to breed a resentment and or a guilt that doesn't doesn't help. I did that mention that I'm divorced, advice, right? Not endurance advice. What? <laughs> I did mention that I'm divorced, right? <laughs> right. I, I could maybe have done a better job of that, say, 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write the uh, Cycling While Married book at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, John, um, hope yeah. this helps. Would uh, love to hear from you. Um you know, especially uh, any any positive feedback that you get from your wife um, and or kids. Didn't mention if there were kids, but I'm assuming uh, maybe I shouldn't assume. All righty. I think we're going to move on to the pace line picks. What do you have for this week based on your glamping experience? <laughs> well, this week, in line with that whole bunch of blather at the top of the show about anti-cycling, I'm picking my jet boil camp stove. And as much as I love my jet boil, I'll say that this isn't specifically about jet boil. There are other lightweight <laughs> single so burner well. stoves. <laughs> yeah, there are other lightweight single burner stoves out there. I've only ever had a jet boil, which my uh, beautiful wife, did I mention her, did get me uh, one Christmas. Uh, the jet boil works a treat, um, but I have a bunch of camping nerd friends who'd be like, well, you know, you can save 42 grams by getting this one, well, which is good you should if you need to save grams go save them yeah go do that um i have the jet boil flash java kit the one that comes (laughs) with the press pot stuff for coffee (laughs) i should have known (laughs) yeah 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 and 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 like who is the genius at jet boil who was like (laughs) i mean maybe it's so obvious but i still think very clever you know what i'm doing (laughs) Um, you can make ramen or cocoa or whatever you want in that thing too um retail on it is 120 bucks uh and it all packs into a one liter canister so it it Hmm. doesn't quite jam in the jersey pocket but any smallish bag should do um this was funny when we were packing to go on vacation my neighbor was out in his driveway and he asked me where we were going and i said oh we're gonna go i said camping and he said oh i love camping equipment (laughs) (laughs) i like your neighbor (laughs) yeah yeah and he was saying like you know the I he goes. I don't care to sleep on the ground, but I love the other way that stuff is designed for you know like compactness and weight. It's all so well designed and engineered now, and it's true. Like this jet boil thing is is amazing. Like you can I don't know how many I don't know how many pots of coffee I've already made on one little canister of propane, um, and it's fast. It's it's such a, a brilliant piece of machinery. So hey, get yourself a jet boil. Grind up some coffee, hit up some friends or don't and find a spot somewhere out there and sit and sip and talk and just see what the woods have to say to you and how you feel after. And as far as I'm concerned, you still get to count that as a ride if you if you're a person who needs to count these things. Hmm. All right. All right. I like it. You know, in uh, the coming weeks, I'm not sure just when, but in the coming weeks, I'm going to be reviewing a bag that might be awfully appropriate to your jet boil. 
Convergence. Yeah. We're all converging on the yeah. truth. Right, maybe I need to rethink this review and just send you the bag to review with your jet boil. I'm down. Send oh, it over. I, I think I just painted myself in a corner. <laughs> I'll, right. I'll duct tape the thing to my helmet. You don't need to send me the bag. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. The jet boil itself is a, enough of a draw that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Before I get to my pick, uh, I need to touch on a recent pick. A um, couple weeks back, uh, yeah. I reviewed the Coefficient Road Race Bar. When I was talking about it, I mentioned that it put the levers in a slightly more forward position. I should correct myself here. Uh, reach on the bar is 77 millimeters, which actually puts it in close range with many existing bars. I went back and I checked both Zip and FSA, two very popular bar makers, and it sits kind of right between an awful lot of what a lot, an awful lot of their offerings. Um, so I needed to correct that. Uh, if you've got a bar that has a 70 to 80 millimeter reach, this is going to leave your levers in a very similar position. Maybe not exactly the same. Uh, but if you've got another bar, if you're running a bar now with 77 millimeters of reach, your levers will be in exactly the same position they were. Uh, my full review of this bar uh, will be up on Cycling Independent very shortly, and I'll have a link in our show notes. Okay, my pick for the week. I'm someone who likes variety in flavor. I can tell you right now that I have at least four different flavors of jelly in my fridge for PB&J sandwiches. I've got five kinds of beer in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of those is maybe not in regular rotation. Uh, there are two different ciders, okay? Uh, let's see. There are four flavors of Cliff Bar in my cabinets and three flavors of Scratch Chews, and I... I did. I went and counted five flavors of goo. Yeah, I'm like that. So, and drink mixes, scratch. I currently have six flavors of scratch. And one of those is their, well, my new pick, uh, their limited edition summer peach. Um, limited edition scratch mix. Yeah. Well, they do that. Uh, you know, what a world we live in. Yeah, <laughs> this 21st century is almost going to work out. Um, <laughs> so for folks who aren't aware of this, um, Scratch will do these limited runs of different flavors. They're flavors that aren't going to be popular enough to keep in rotation year round, like lemon, lime or oranges, uh, lemons and limes or oranges, because they use natural flavorings. That's why they name them that way. Um so, but like uh, in the fall or winter, somewhere in there, they'll do a run of apples and cinnamon so that you can put hot water in your bottles and have something a bit like spiced cider. Uh, once a year or so, they'll usually do a run of pineapple. Um, but this year they're doing a new one, summer peach. And, um, you know, there's probably not a lot to say about it. Um but I can say that it has a light, not syrupy tape taste. Um, and I can verify that if you chill it to the temperature of iced tea, uh, not the other one, uh, 
it goes down like water through a drain. I can tell you that for sure. I absolutely love this. And I should also admit, like, I'm somebody who will, you know, I'll go out with two bottles and one bottle will be filled with one mix and one bottle will be filled with the other mix. Yeah, That's how much variety you crave. Yep. Yep. By the end of this bottle, I'm going to be tired of this. (laughs) No, I just, you know, it's like, it's a big world. Let's, let's try some of it. I saw a fascinating, I watched a fascinating Malcolm Gladwell video the other day. They usually are. Yes. Uh, He's a clever guy. And (laughs) what this video was about was spaghetti sauce. Uh, (laughs) I have no idea where this is going to go. Well, it was a story about he's a you know, he's a data guy. And uh, it was a story about uh, this guy. I think his name is Harold Moskowitz, who worked as a consultant to the food industry. (laughs) And he got hired at some point by Prego spaghetti sauce Mm -hmm. to determine what exactly America wants from a spaghetti sauce. I've heard about him. Yeah. And at the time, Prego was in a minority position. Ragu was the the king of spaghetti sauce. Um, At the time, everyone thought, well, you would do a bunch of uh, consumer research and you would distill that one thing, right? One variety of sauce that would rule the market. Mm -hmm. And you just needed to figure out what the characteristics were. And what this guy uh, figured out was that that's that's not right. There's not one perfect spaghetti sauce. One person's perfect spaghetti sauce is very basil-y, and one person's is very chunky, and one person's is... Pick another (laughs) thing about spaghetti sauce. But the point was that Moskowitz convinced... uh, not just Prego, but a bunch of different companies to offer variety in their product. So that's why when you go to the grocery store now, there's like seven or nine or ten flavors of each brand of spaghetti sauce. And so I can credit him with the, the vodka sauce. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All maybe. Right. All right. And yeah. so I think you have that guy to thank for your your varieties of goo and... Uh, jelly and all that stuff. Well, you know, part of this actually harkens back to when I was a kid, my mom, who was a first rate coupon clipper, uh, she got some incredible deal on two, two pound jars of grape jelly. And by the end of it, I didn't ever want grape jelly ever again. And if you look in both my pantry and my refrigerator, guess what? No grape jelly. Right. I'm a good guesser. Yeah. Well, I, it's I, almost I like that. It, it's almost like varieties, the spice of life. Almost uh, like that. Um, almost like, yeah. Um, yeah. I should mention to everyone, uh, if you do go in for peaches, then don't wait. Because as I mentioned before, this is a limited edition flavor. Um, and a 20 serving bag goes for nineteen fifty. We'll have a link in our show notes. Alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Uh, how much longer till your big event, John? 
it's it is October third, so I'm in the final three weeks. So I'm yeah. gonna probably do one more big effort this weekend if my body holds together, and then I'm gonna taper mercifully <laughs> for the last two weeks of the month, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Awesome, awesome. What do you well, got? What do you got? Uh, I well, I've got my boys a little bit more than usual this weekend because I've got a trip to L.A. coming up in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm going to be doing some of that early ride action um, to be able to allow for lots of time with them. And I think this is the weekend I'm actually going to try to get them both onto my stand-up paddleboard. Nice. I may be very wet by the end of this weekend. It sounds like everyone will be. <laughs> okay, before we go, I want to let you all know about a new podcast that John is producing along with Stephen Knievel of All Hail the Black Marker. He would approve of that, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's called Revolting. Um, I don't think that it is actually literally revolting, but the first review they got did agree with them. So there's that. <laughs> Called unlistenable by that one guy. Yeah. Um, it's not a cycling podcast in the more traditional sense, but I will take issue with what that guy had to say and say it is a good listen. Uh, and uh, I will remind everyone that I've been teasing this and I will continue to do so until I'm ready. We do have some other new podcasts coming up. And uh, at some point, I'm going to make a bit more of an announcement. Alrighty, keep those questions coming. You all are sending us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review. That is a good review <laughs> on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady. With John Lewis, thanks for listening to The Pace Line.